If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Psalms. We're in the Psalms. Uh, really, we've been there for the year. Uh, we are in Psalm 119 today, which you can find on page 512. If you look down, there's some black Bibles nearby, and if you want to follow along with where we are, it's page 512. Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in the Bible. So if you just flip open to the Psalms, there's a good chance you'll land in Psalm 119. Um, because it's so big, we're going to spend the next three weeks on this psalm. We're going to break it down into sections. It's basically 22 sections, and we're just going to do three of those in the next week to give you a feel for kind of what Psalm 119 is all about. The series in the psalms we've called Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. I know in the summertime we have a lot of new people, so I wanted to kind of catch you up to speed uh, that as the elders and I were praying about where to go last year as we prayed through different uh, opportunities for preaching we really felt God pressing us to do something with the Psalms because it's really the emotional health and mental health book of the Bible. Um, and uh, we, we struggle in that area, right? There's a lot of stresses on our community, and we need help. And so in the Psalms, we see this great model of what we call emotion meeting truth in the Psalms, where we can actually be honest with God. We have a God who actually allows us and invites us to be real with Him in our prayers and our worship and our relationships with other Christians but then also at the same time to submit ourselves to his truth. And so we don't want to uh, run to one extreme or the other to be authenticity people or truth people, but we want to be both. We really want to try to web those two things together, and we see that hammered out in the Psalms. So we've been working through that. We'll be in Psalm 119 the next three weeks, and Psalm 119 um, is a, a book that kind of unpacks or a chapter that unpacks this idea called the third use of the law, which is an abstract theological term I just want to lay out. Uh, for you to kind of allow you to connect that with like going deeper if you want to read about this more in other theology books. The idea of the third use of the law is that uh, the first use of the law is it just kind of keeps society together, right? Kind of keeps people out of trouble. That's, that's a use of the law. Um, and then a second use of the law is it shows us our own weakness, that, that we can't measure up to God and we need his, his forgiveness in the gospel. And then the third use of the law really only works for people that know that God is good. That this can only work if you know that God is gracious and that he loves you and he's adopted you into his family, then you can love the law like we see in Psalm 119. So it really doesn't make sense apart from being converted to God is good, God is gracious, he has my best interest in mind. Uh, so if you're like me, even after knowing that, you might still struggle a little bit, right? I'm, I'm not a very good rule follower. Uh, I'm kind of a rule breaker sometimes. And so God is continually converting me to this reality that he's good and I can trust what he has to say to me. So we're going to see that from different angles the next three weeks as we look at Psalm 119, uh, that the law is good. Uh, next week, I'll be at a pastor's conference. And so a friend, Adam Viramontes, who is a pastor at Hill Country Presbyterian down the road here in Colleen, he's going to preach to us next week and he'll do a great job. Uh, and then I'll be back again to finish up our little mini-series on Psalm 119. And then we'll finish up the book of Psalms for a few weeks after that. Um, so today we're calling it Which Way? Which Way? We're going to be in verses 25 through 32 today. Uh, this section is labeled by the letter D, Dalit. If you look in your Bible, there's a funny little Hebrew word over each section. And so what that means is this is an alphabet acrostic poem. So they have the Hebrew alphabet, and the first uh, word of each section starts with that letter, right? So Dalit, this is D, this is the fourth section, it's Aleph. Bait, Gimel, Dalit, hey, you see like different uh, letters of the alphabet going through in these sections. So we're in the Dalit section, the D section here today uh, to give you a flavor of what Psalm 119 is about. And there's an emphasis in this section on 
uh, the ways of the Lord, right? Literally, this word is road. It's the Hebrew word derek. And so you could think of road, path, direction. Uh, the, in the text here in the ESV, it says way again and again. Uh, throughout Psalm 119, big picture, it talks a lot about the law, the statutes, the rules of God, the commandments of God. Here it's talking in terms of the way, and it'll use some of those other words as well. So which way are you going? Which path are you running down in life? Uh, which, which way, which road, which path are you taking? Let's read verses 25 through 32. It says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Let me pray for us. God, we ask you to enlarge our heart, like it says in the text. We ask that you would uh, give us this kind of heart for your direction. God, you know that we've all rebelled and we need you. God, some of us have rebelled by just saying, we, we know better. We're going to set our own law. Some of us have rebelled by saying, I'm going I'm to shrink down your law to something manageable, manageable and then pretend that I can keep it. God, we're all guilty of, of one of those or both of those at the same time, and we just pray that you'd come to us and change our hearts. Change our hearts about who you are. Help us to see your goodness, your grace, your forgiveness. Help us to see the, the scope of your holiness, how great you are. And we pray that you would change us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. We pray your spirit would meet us here, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about which, which way to go, which path to run down, I was remembering a crazy game that I always enjoyed when I was doing youth ministry. This is a game that I would uh, lead kids to play. I also remember my wife and kids and me going to a family camp one time, and we played this game also. So you might have seen this one before. It's like a relay race, and then you run from, one, you know, from your starting line to this other end of the field, and there's a baseball bat laying on the field. So you're having a race with other people, and when you get to the baseball bat, you have to spin around it like three times, okay? Have any of y'all ever run this relay before? Some of you have seen this. Okay, it is uh, hilariously funny to watch people do this. Um, so when they go and do the spinning around the baseball bat three times, I don't know, you know if it's at two and a half or when it happens, but magically you are really dizzy, right? After three spins, one spin's not so bad, but after three, you're, you're for real dizzy, okay? And then when you're trying to run back to your line... After you've spun around three times, you just can't run straight, right? Generally, one of two things happens. Generally, either the person starts running and just eats the dirt immediately, right? Which, you know, you feel kind of bad, but, it, but it's funny. And then <laughs> the other thing that happens, this, this is more common because people see people falling, so they're kind of being careful and they're running, but they're kind of like running like this, right? <laughs> kind of running sideways and drifting around and holding their arms out. Um, and, and if you're kind of arrogant like me, you're in line thinking, I can do it. These other people can't do it, but I'll be fine. And then you just can't, right? You're, just, you're running and you're drifting to the side and you realize I'm, I'm messed up too. And, and that's really what the scriptures teaches about the, the condition of humanity, that we, we can't run the right path, that, that we might see it, right? You, you see people going, come on, this way, this way. And you know, that's great that they're shouting for you, but you just can't get there. 
You're just drifting off the wrong direction. And Scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are running on the right path. We, we do one of two things. We either are, are real honest and upfront about it, right? This is what we would call kind of the rebellious type. And you just say, forget you, God. I know better. And we'd go do our own thing, right? And that's real clear and everybody knows what's going on. Then there's the sneaky thing that a lot of us religious people do where we pretend we are doing what God told us to do. We, we shrink down God's law and we say, I've got this figured out. I'm not like all those bad people that are rebelling against God. I'm doing what God said, and I'm better than other people, and so God must be pleased. God has to bless me because I've done what he's told me to do. And Jesus was always confronting the religious leaders of his day, saying, you have no idea how holy God is. You haven't even come close. You need a complete makeover, a complete new heart. You have to be born again. You can't measure up to his perfect, absolute standards of righteousness. And so no matter which way we talk about it, no matter which way we try to mask it, we're all wandering off the path. We're all going the wrong way. And ultimately, that's going to end in a, in a face plant. Um, and that's really what verse 25, that kind of the first part of our section talks about. We have to decide if we're going on the way of life or death. And it uses the language of, of the dust, the dirt, in verse 25. So this first section, I want to say, this is choosing between the way of life or death. Look at verses 25 through 27. Just starting off with 25, it says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. So this is an admission. I've, I've taken the face plant, right? I'm eating dirt. I need you to give me life. God, I've chosen the wrong way. That's, that's where we all start. Again, no matter how honest or dishonest you are about your path, your religious path, we all are in the same place. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all eating dirt to some degree. And we have to decide which path we want to be on. Which path, which way do we want to follow? The way of life or the way of death? And so the author here is starting off saying, I'm, I'm eating the dust. My soul clings to the dust, so give me life according to your word. That's the place to start, Right? The place to start is to start with that kind of spiritual honesty. Are, are you living in that kind of spiritual honesty? Or are you lying to yourself saying that the indulging of sin that you're pursuing right now is the way of life? It's not. Or are you lying and saying keeping a, little, a few little religious rules of this tribe or this culture is going to be enough to please an all-perfect holy God? Because it's not. You have, to, you have to start with the realization that, that you're in the dust, that your soul is clinging to the dust and call out to God to give you life. God, give me the way of life. Give me life according to your word. I have a picture here of, of another running analogy. We used to do this training with bungee cords uh, back when I used to be able to like run and move around fast and stuff like that. Um, so back when I was a teenager, we would run, and, and one of the ways they would help us get faster is they would tie a bungee cord between you and another runner. Have any of y'all ever done this kind of training? Some of you? Okay, two of you. All right, three. All right. Well, let me explain to you. It's a lot of fun, um, you, but what you need to do is you've got to match yourself with someone the same speed as you. So what you do is you tie this bungee cord between you, and you stretch it out until it's really tight. You know, you can barely, you know, hold back. It's as tight as it'll go. And then the coach or the trainer starts you at the same time. You both start running as fast as you can. And it works great because what happens is if you're the same speed, it forces you to run slightly faster because the bungee cord is pulling you, right? So it forces your legs to move faster than they normally can. Great exercise unless you're really tired that day 
or the guy in front of you is really faster than you. Because then you're like a plow just churning through the dirt, right? Because you just go, and it just digs you right through the dirt. Um, and so we used to, again, and, and sadly, enjoy watching this happen sometimes. Um, the question is, are you, have you come to the place of realizing that that's where your life choices have taken you, right? Have you come to that place of emotional, spiritual honesty where you can say to God, my soul clings to the dust, like I am at rock bottom. My, my fake religion hasn't brought me life, and my rebellion hasn't brought me life. I'm eating dirt right now, God. So give me life according to your word. You have to come to this place of, of absolute brokenness. If you've never come to this place of absolute brokenness, you're not going to grow. You're not going to progress in your spiritual life. You're not going to find the way of life unless you've come to the end of yourself and you're asking God to, to pick you up, to pull you out of the dust, out of the dirt. He goes on in verse 26, and he says, When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me statutes. So I want you to see that this is a reinforcement of what we were just looking at in verse 25. Now in verse 26, he's saying, When I told you my ways, God, I, I came out of the closet and I said, I'm eating dirt. I've made the wrong choice. Help me. You answered me. That's the kind of God we serve in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the same God. It's a gracious God who, when we come to him and say, I'm, I've done the wrong thing, I've gone the wrong direction, he extends grace to us. I'll read it again. When I told of my ways, you answered me. So teach me your statutes. Statutes another word for law. We have all these words, precepts, statutes, commandments, testimonies. We, we have these different words for talking about God's word his direction in our life and when we can come to him and say god i've messed up recognizing that he's gracious and he's good and he'll give us life then he'll begin to teach us he'll begin to actually change us so we we begin to live the right way not not perfectly but being transformed from the inside out knowing that he's good knowing that he's the kind of god that answers knowing that he's the kind of god that gives life when we recognize we're in the dust verse 27 he says Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Uh, wondrous works is a translation of uh, a Hebrew word that's really just wonders, right? I'll meditate on your, your wonders. He's the wonder-working God. In the Old Testament context, that's centered around the Exodus. The Exodus story is when God miraculously took a slave people and adopted them as his children. and said, I'm going to rescue you from slavery to the greatest empire the world has ever known. And I'm going to break that empire, I'm going to embarrass their gods, and I'm going to supernaturally rescue you and bring you out and make you a nation. You're just a slave people, you have no rules, you have no laws, I'm going to give you laws, I'm going to give you rules, I'm going to make you a nation. That's really what the, the five books of Moses are all about, the beginning of the Bible. So when it talks about the wonder working of God, it's they're, they're thinking, the Hebrew mindset, they're thinking back to this God that wondrously and miraculously saves people. And then in New Testament, we think that way as well. We think of the exodus that Jesus accomplishes. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah, they were talking to him, and the Greek text it says about his exodus, about the exodus that he was going to perform. He was rescuing us out of our slavery to sin, miraculously, by his supernatural intervention as the God-man who took our sins upon himself and gives us freely his righteousness. 
So we no longer stand by faith dressed in our sin, but we now stand dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So the mystery is that Christ is, is in us. He's the hope of glory we have. We are now seen as God's adopted child. We're loved. We're seen as beautiful. We're seen as righteous through Christ. Do you trust in what he's accomplished for you in his wonder working on the cross? That, that's, the, that's the wonder working of the Bible. And so he says, help me to meditate on these wondrous works that you've accomplished, God. Help me to meditate on that. Are you meditating on, on these realities? Are you, are you thinking these over? Are you studying them? Are you learning about who God is and what he's done? I think to back up, I want us to just revisit the idea of the way of life and death. Do you recognize your, your neediness first? First, you have to recognize your neediness that you are on the way of death and, and you need God to put you on the way of life. You have to start there. So that's my first question to you. When, when you come to a place of neediness, do you just dig in and try harder? Do you just say, more flesh, I can do it, I don't need God? Or do you come to the end of yourself and say, God, I need your help. Help me. Give me life. Put me on the right path. Put me in the right way. That's called repentance. Repentance um, really just means a turn of mind or a turn of heart. It means I'm no longer going to trust in my sin. My sin of self-righteousness or my sin of rebellion. I'm not going to trust in that anymore. I'm not going to trust in you. I'm going to open up the open hands of faith and extend them to you, God, and trust in your wondrous works. Have you come to that, that point of transition, of change, of recognizing you can't get yourself there by your own means anymore? You, you've got to get there if God's going to do anything in your life, if you're going to be changed, if you're going to grow, if you're going to be transformed. My other question to you is, do, do you have anyone in your life that, that you uh, confess your neediness and your brokenness to? as you are tempted to go back to the way of death, or as you continue to be trapped by sin, by struggles, do you have a, a real human being in your life to confess to, to, to talk to about these things? First um, John 1, we talk about a lot, says if uh, we say we have no sins, we lie, right? But if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So that's our relationship with God. But then James 5 says, confess your sins one to another, and pray for each other that you may be healed. So James 5 says that same kind of relationship you have with God of confessing your sins to God and he forgives you through Christ. We also need to bring other people in the process as well. We can't just be like an island living off by ourselves and think, well, it's just me and Jesus and everything's cool. No, James says, live that out with other people. Talk about that. Find a buddy that you can pray with, that you can talk to, that can help you along in your faith. That's part of what we do in small groups as well. Sometimes it's helpful to just find one person. You know, it's hard to commit to a weekly small group. Well, find someone that you can meet with, that you can pray with, that you can encourage each other. You can look at Scripture together. You can say, I want God to teach me His statutes. I want Him to put me on the way of life, and I'm struggling in this area, and I know He's forgiven me, but I still struggle here. Can you pray for me too? And begin helping each other along in the process. Well, the next little section we see that not only is it the way of life that he places us on, but it's the way of comfort. It's the way of comfort. If you're really struggling, if you're hurting, he places us on the way of comfort. And we see this in verses 28 and 29. It says in verse 28, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul melts away for sorrow. Uh, the commentaries say that this word for sorrow is a very, a very strong word of just brokenness, depression, struggle, uh, suffering, anguish. Um, so, if, so if you have gone through 
suffering. If you are in suffering right now, know that God is a God that places us on the, on the way of comfort. God is a God through his word that will comfort us, will come alongside us, who will encourage us. Here again, he says, my soul is, is melting away. It's, it's disintegrating. It's falling apart, maybe because of our sin. Maybe it's because someone else's sin against us, right? The world we live in is a mix of, of both problems, our sin and other people's sin. But we're feeling disoriented. We're feeling like we're melting. We're feeling like we're being crushed by these circumstances. And, and when we feel that way, we can call on him to be our comfort. Strengthen me according to your word. Have you, any of you ever been uh, outside when it's hot? Some of y'all already lived through a summer here. Anybody here last summer? Okay. So if you were here last summer, you, you might have tried to eat ice cream outside on one of these 157 degree days. And, and have you ever had this happen where you're eating ice cream, but it is, it's melting faster than you can eat it? Have you had that happen before? Right? Or it happens to your kids, like maybe you can eat ice cream really fast, but your poor little four-year-old is like, ah, it's melting, and it's just all dripping. Right? That's an image of, of what of, often happens here. Just our life seems to be unraveling faster than we can put it back together. And I want you to be assured that if you come to him, he'll put you on the way of comfort. He'll comfort you according to his word. And then he says, strengthen me according to your word. And I was thinking then of the opposite of this. Like when you, when you make popsicles, you're actually doing the opposite, right? You're taking something melted and you're making something solid. Something solid that brings great joy to our life, right? Any of you ever made homemade popsicles? Raise your hand if you've made... Okay, some of you have done this. It's really cool. I recommend... Again, if you're new to the area, you're going to need some ways to, to deal with the heat this summer. So uh, here's a picture of homemade popsicles. You can even make healthy ones, right? There's strawberries here. They're pouring them into a mold. Um, and when you pour them into the mold, that mold uh, gives like firmness and strength to it. You put it in the freezer, it becomes solid. And then it's this solid treat you can enjoy. It's not just a mush running across the table, right? And so the image is that God's word strengthens us. It, it helps solidify us, right? We're coming apart. We're fraying, and God's grace comes in and, and gives us solidity. It makes us solid and secure and, and strengthens us. I want you to see that vision of what God's Word can do for us. In Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the Word of His power. So do you think if Jesus can uphold the universe by the Word of His power, do you think He can he could hold you together? Do you think he could strengthen you by his word? I, th- I think he can. So if, if you struggle with anxiety, with loneliness, with sadness, with brokenness, like it says here, if you feel like your soul is melting away because of sorrow, remember that he wants to strengthen you. He goes on in verse 29 and he says this, Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. So again, reiterating that that part of the reason we're melting, like I said, sometimes it's other people's sin against us, but what we always do is we mix in our own sin into that and make it worse. And so he's saying, God, take me off these false ways. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. We often talk about this as idolatry, as, as other gods, as other saviors we run to. And I just wrote down a few that I run into as, as I counsel people here. And, th- and these may not be things that you struggle with, but these are common things that I run into in counseling situations as I try to help people in our community. Maybe in other communities, people struggle with other things. But I believe these are four of the false ways that we struggle with. Gossip, um, an addiction to anxiety, right? 
And you can think of anxiety in a couple different ways. Sometimes anxiety is something that happens to you, but often then what we do is we just keep stirring the pot and we get stuck in circular thinking of kind of staying in our anxiety, thinking that that mental anguish will somehow you know, put God in, uh, in a debt to us or something. And so just kind of an addiction to anxiety, greed, just amassing things. I think sometimes if I just get more stuff, if I just have a better job, if I just have more things, then I'll be protected from the brokenness of this world. I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. And then the other one is, is porn. People just trying to find an escape through pleasure, through images that might make them feel better, make them be able to escape into a fantasy world. These are false ways that, as the scriptures say, won't give life, but are going to bring death. But we as people continue to run down these false ways and say, it's going to be good. This is going to, this is going to make everything okay. I'm going to feel better. I feel like I'm melting, but I'm going to pursue these things, and they're going to fix it for me. I want to encourage you that, that they won't. Uh, they feel great at first, right? Most sin feels wonderful in the beginning, but then you're face planting again, and it's, it's not good. It's the way of death. So I want to appeal to you that God really does love you, that he proved that through Jesus, that he gives himself for us so that when he invites us to follow him, it's not a trick. It's not a trick to say, I'm trying to ruin all your fun, but he actually loves us. He actually knows what's best for us. And so we can honestly pray to him, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Graciously change me. Teach me your law. A scripture that I think is really helpful in this process to learn is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. If you struggle with sorrow, with anxiety, it says don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with supplication, make your request to God. It's basically saying with multiple words there, just talk to God, bring your stuff to God. If you're struggling, if you're having anxiety, don't continue to spin out in anxiety, but bring it to him. Say, Jesus, I've got anxiety, I've got sorrow, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, help me. Talk to him. And it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Learn some of these scriptures and begin to live by these, and they will graciously teach us God's way. Well, the last thing I want us to see is that God's way is a way of passion. God's way is a way of passion. We see this in 30, 31, and 32, these last three verses here. He has these, uh, just kind of piling on these action words here. Look at this in verse 30. He says, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And so there's this picture of, of passion, of being excited to pursue what is good, what God says is right. And again, we don't start there. That's a place we get to after realizing I I can't do what God tells me to do. We fall on our knees and say, God, forgive me. God, change me. God, put me on the path of life. But then there's there's this beautiful, incredible picture of then we can actually begin running on that path. Again, not perfection, but actually pursuing God and believing he's good, trusting him, living according to what he tells us to do and enjoying more and more freedom in different areas of life where we never thought we'd have freedom. He begins to actually transform us. That's this beautiful picture. Uh, I was thinking of the movie Chariots of Fire that illustrates this. Chariots of Fire won a bunch of Academy Awards. It came out like 100 years ago. I don't know if any of y'all remember that. Um, maybe in the 80s. Anybody remember it was in the 80s? 
I, last time I watched it, I realized our movie making has really changed because in Chariots of Fire, uh, it just kind of moves slowly. They're, they're talking, they have full conversations, right? Slow moving camera angles. And now movies are just like, you know, like the, the scenes change constantly. So anyway, um, that just helps us get worse with our ADD, I think, as we watch these movies. But if you want to kind of slow down, this is a great movie to watch. And it, what it does is it contrasts a Christian runner with a runner that doesn't know God. And what it does is it has this guy that knows God and knows that God loves him, and so he runs with passion and joy because he's just doing what God made him to do. And then there's this other guy that's running, searching for an identity. He, he's, he's searching for uh, that something to prove that he matters. And so the contrast in the movie is beautiful and sad because a lot of times we're that other guy. We're running as fast as we can because we don't really believe that God does love us because we don't really believe that he has adopted us into the family because we're trying to prove to God and the people around us that we're worth something. When God says, I'm going to give that to you freely through Jesus. And so again, the contrast with Psalm 119 is this is a supernatural way of life. Actually running in the freedom of God's commands he says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. When you enlarge my heart. When God changes us. As he said to Nicodemus, when you're born again. When you're born fresh. When your heart's been made new. When you've had a complete change of mind about who God is and who you are. Then we'll run in the way of his commandments. The, the way of the Lord, it's a way of, it's a way of passion. It's a, it's a robust way. It's a way of of life. It's a way of joy. It's this overflowing way. It's a way that can't be faked, right? It's not something that can be faked. Just think about the last time you met someone that was genuinely full of joy, right? That kind of supernatural joy where you knew they weren't faking it. They weren't making this up. It was just something God had given them. That's what he promises us in the gospel. So again, I want to call you away from religion where we fake that we're living out God's commandments to the gospel where he says, I love you. I've given myself for you. Now begin trying to obey what I've told you to do. Not obeying in order to get God to love us, but obeying because he loves us. Because he loves us. Because we say, okay, what he says must actually be right. It sounds like it's going to be hard. It sounds like it's going to be difficult. It sounds like maybe he's squashing my fun, but he's proven himself. And he's good and he loves me. So I'm going to delight in what he says. I'm going to trust him more and more because he's enlarged my heart. Well, as we wrap up, I wanted you to think back on, the, on the, the picture I gave you at the beginning, right? The relay race where you run and you spin around the baseball bat and then you're trying to run back. And like I said, you know, it, it's, it's nice, but not helpful that everybody's screaming at you to run their way, right? I mean, they're saying, come this way, come this way. And you're like, I appreciate their heart, but I can't go that way. Right? I'm, going, I'm going diagonal, I'm going sideways, I can't run straight anymore. So what I want you to envision is what if, what if Jesus came to you and in, instead of just joining the crowd and saying, you're going the wrong way, come this way, what if Jesus ran and he grabbed hold of you and he pulled you the right way? That's the picture of the gospel. Every other religion in the world says, you're going the wrong way. Jesus comes to you and he grabs hold of you. He says, come with me. Come with me. I'm going to pull you in the right direction. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that, you that you pursue us. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus 
to come after us, to love us. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, I pray that you would help us to to believe the gravity of that verse. That you didn't pursue us because we were pursuing you, but you pursued us because you are a God of love. We thank you for that. We thank you for the grace you've shown us in Jesus. We pray that you would enlarge our hearts so that we can run in the way of your commandments. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.